This is Coda Radio, episode 544 for November 14th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business, the software development, and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, good sir. It's nice to be back. Yes. In the Pacific Northwest, in the studio. It's always tricky trying to do the job on the road when you're traveling. You always, always, at least me personally, overestimate how much time I'll be able to focus on work while traveling. Well, and there's all those little contingencies when you're traveling, right? Those little, oops, something was late, or I gotta... Ugh, I hate traveling. I'm also just, like, bad at guesstimating how much time I'm gonna need while traveling to do the business stuff. Mm. Like, I'm pretty good at figuring, okay, I'm gonna need time to do a show, gonna have to set that up, I'm gonna have to prep that. Like, I'm pretty good at kind of visualizing and guessing the requirements for that. But then there's like the, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to like run a business and respond to emails and like take care of things. And I'm going to do that for like a couple hours a day. And I just don't really budget for that very well. But I'm back now. I'm digging my just slowly digging my way out just slowly. I don't I don't think I got sick. I'm a little dehydrated, but I don't think I got sick. I mean, I got I was sick while I was there, but I mean, I don't think I got anything else. Yeah. Nothing COVID like. Right. Exactly. Now, um, just this morning, before we uh, went live, a massive faux pas in the U.S. versus Google trial, Google's main economics expert literally let it slip. He wasn't supposed to, but he let it slip during his testimony that Google pays Apple 36% of the revenue earned from search ads via Safari. That's right, kids. You thought 30% was bad. Meet its older, meaner, more roid-ragey brother at 36%. And it could even be more, right? Maybe because I think that number was a couple years old. But um, here's my only thought about this. Google's entire argument in this case is sort of predicated around, well, we're the best product and people are choosing us and we're dominant because we're the best. Not, Not because we pay people. But then you look at how much they're paying, and like depending on when you look at the revenue, that is, you know, maybe eighty billion dollars. <laughs> like, so if you're really the best in the world, then why do you got to pay Apple like oh eighty billion dollars or thirty billion dollars or whatever it might be, to to keep your stranglehold on that? And is it actually true that if Apple were to switch to Bing, people would be happy enough or Duck Duck? And is it not actually true that it's because their products are the best? I think of it a little differently. This is just like the the Google, you know, Google primary colors flag on the just iron Thanos-like grip Apple has over iOS, right? It, it, it's like, you know, if Google wasn't coughing up the money, Apple would just go to whoever would pay them. In fact, it also came out that they're paying, they paid Samsung a huge chunk to also have Samsung do the same thing and have Samsung start shipping Google Assistant as well. Another example where they just gave him boatload of money just to make sure. I feel like if you're Tim Sweeney, you're just sitting there being like, see, I told you. I told you that this is what's going on. Uh, Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games, who has I, – I, I, we can't call it a – well, no, I think we can call it a crusade at this point, right? He's on a crusade about just the – again, the Thanos-like grip that Apple and Google and Apple in particular have over their mobile platforms. I don't know, man. This seems like a lot. 
it does it to me kind of brings into question the whole uh, the product market is dominated by Google simply because the products are the best. I mean, when I think about it, Google Docs is pretty good, but I don't know if it's always been the best. Google search is getting worse. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to know what the audience thinks. Boost in or coder.show slash contact. Speaking of gaming, uh, Matt from Alderaan Games, he wrote in and said, Hey, guys, I have some thoughts about the Mac being a hostile platform for developers. It's an issue I ran into, and I wanted to hear your thoughts. Here's a link to the thread. And so on the thread, uh, Matt writes, Apple needs to stop breaking games and macOS operating system updates. Imagine writing code that works for a decade in macOS and then having an update throw an NS internal consistency exception. This is going to break thousands of Unreal and other games on Steam. Uh, apparently, like the Apple crash. Uh, he says, if you're going to break code that works in games that ship previously, people will just stop supporting the Mac and delist their games and mark them Windows only. The Mac could be a great gaming platform, especially with the advancements in Apple Silicon. It just has a hostile software environment, which makes it hard for games. Man, like there's a lot of things you get into, like especially when it comes to the app signing requirements, Mm -hmm. swapping binaries out, which is kind of impossible with the signing requirements. You have to get things re-notarized. It is. So then like they break something, you try to fix it. You can't really fix it very elegantly. Well, and there's the whole deprecating or removing OpenGL situation. That's that's a huge problem. Metal is great, but metal is Apple only, and that's it's just like always going to handicap it. Man, I wonder if it feels hopeless because to me it seems so hopeless. And the only light at the end of the tunnel is something like Proton, which is yet another stack on top of everything else. Yeah, but not for the kind of games that they're shipping, right? So, so disclosure, right? I'm doing some contract work for uh, Matt over at Alderaan doing this very stuff, fighting with the Apple platforms. And a lot of the uh, time and money they've spent with me has been their automated building stuff that works for every other platform from the Xbox to the Nintendo magically fails on iOS because Xcode got an update and the update was basically forced on you. You don't have too many choices. So this is a stupid problem, right? So because I'm working on the Apple stuff, I work on back, right? Which makes sense. Except Xcode just vomits on syntax highlighting for the Unreal code. <laughs> so I'm back in like 1992 over here. And literally, and it t- the, the game is so big uh, to compile, I will make a mistake like misremembering an API or you know just a typo even. And I have to wait for it to rebuild onto my iPad and then it's like, oh yeah, you uh, you you like added an extra S there. It's it's that level of crap. And to be honest, I, I definitely got a little bit of a gentle teasing from the folks working in Visual Studio over there, because uh, Visual Studio supports it and it like knows what the APIs are and it will complete them like you would think any rational editor would. To me, this seems like the consequences of what has been Apple's greatest strength: their cohesive platform. If you buy a Mac, you build for you build for you know iOS. You you build and publish through the App Store. You use their Apple payment system, and you it all works really well. But then, if you want to do something that's outside that really tight ecosystem, it's just edge cases all the way down. And gaming is by its very nature cross platform, cross device, and outside that ecosystem. And Apple has built themselves a fantastic kingdom that just 
from the way you develop, from the way they ship updates, from the way you make revenue. It's just not compatible with gaming. I don't see a solution. Not through Apple. Maybe through Steam and other mechanisms, but not through Apple. See, I hope you're wrong because it's really a damn shame, right? Like the iPad in particular is such a uh, really ideal gaming platform, especially for your strategy or your simulation games, uh, that having it having it just like be a pain in the butt is not uh, – it's just not good. I, well, and take this to the Vision Pro. How how does a $3,000 Vision Pro headset ever become successful if you don't have some good games on there? I, I mean, unless you're Marco, you're not buying it. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like that one's just whatever. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go on over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices right now. It's a great way to support the show while you're checking out a simple, secure, ready-to-go VPN that you can build out in just minutes. Tailscale is a zero-config VPN. Way, way better than a lot of config VPNs. <laughs> what it really does is it uses WireGuard's noise protocol to create a mesh network between your devices. It's great for software developers who want to set up some ad hoc networking, maybe across multiple devices, a VPS, your LAN, maybe multiple data centers, and you don't want to have to fuss with the firewalls and the subnets, and you don't really even want to put it on the public internet. It's really also fantastic for businesses and enterprises that need a VPN solution that is modern, flexible, works across different types of networks and mobile devices without one of those big old VPN rigs to have to manage and license. <laughs> oh, man. I used to run a Checkpoint VPN, and just the encryption offload card was $10,000. <laughs> so it's a different era for VPNs now. Tailscale is built on WireGuard, and the devices connect directly to each other that means that when you're sending something between devices, it's super fast if they're on the same LAN. You get a mesh VPN with the same IP for a device if it's right next to you or if it's across the world. And while I was in El Salvador, I was using Tailscale exclusively to sync all of my data to do my transactions using Bitcoin and everything over my Tailnet. And there's a lot of cool features in there to manage access. They call it ACLs. You can tie it in with your enterprise authentication if you're a business. There's add-on tools that just integrate perfectly, like Tailscale Send, which is sort of like AirDrop, but for all your Tailscale devices so everybody gets to play. <laughs> oh, and Tailscale SSH, which is fantastic for automation, but just really handy. You can log in using your Tailnet credentials. So you don't have to you know, move the key around and stuff like that. There's so many other little nice things about it, too, and it just keeps getting better as well. So go get it for free for 100 devices. It's not a limited-time trial. You can get it for free for up to 100 devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. Go see why we all love it. It's going to really be great for whatever you're doing. And it also just adds a little bit more privacy and security, too. Always a good thing. Tailscale.com slash coder. Well, it's being described as a eulogy for coding which the author has always felt was like an endlessly deep and rich domain. But after ChatGPT swallowed knowledge and skills that take a lifetime to master, it is coming to an end, my friends. Now, the author will pull, it's a, it's a piece on The New Yorker we'll link to, if they let you read it. They were initially very skeptical about AI. They started, though, observing some of their newer colleagues using the tooling to complete projects and having success, so the author sat down, got himself a subscription, got GPT-4 going, and started using it for coding tasks. And as they put it, saw a, quote, transformative impact. And he's an, he's an expectant parent, and he's thinking about this, 
and the recent OpenAI Day announcements where you just tell ChatGPT to go build you a GPT. And he is expressing a lot of concern that kids won't want to learn to program. They'll just want to use this next level of abstraction going forward. He's concerned that the actual skill of coding is going to be diminished in value by the time his his coming kid is old enough. And I had a similar thought when it comes to computers. When I was in high school, by like my freshman year, I had built two of my own PCs, and I'd taken apart my dad's computer a couple of times. A lot of people used to build PCs. It was very common. These days, it's pretty much a solved problem, and if you buy a pre-made computer, it's probably built better than you're going to build it. Some people still do, but not really anymore. And my kids don't really have any interest in learning how the iPad is built. They are very good at manipulating the software. I'd say they're experts at using the software and the iPad. And they enjoy building things using the iPad. But they're not interested in how the iPad's built. And they're not looking at building a computer at all. They're just not, it's not even on their register. They're, they're not even at that. They're just a whole layer of abstraction above that now. And this author uh, over at The New Yorker kind of postulates that the same thing will happen with software development. Not so much with like you and I and people out in the workforce today, but more like people that are entering school in the next few years. Well, it's going to change, right? And it has changed. If we go back to, you know, the 70s or 60s, what software development was, it was wildly different than what we're doing now in terms of just the tooling and the automation and like... You know, I got to tell you, it, it sounds silly, but my example of uh, working in Unreal on Xcode, life without IntelliSense and auto-completion is very, very hard. It's just bad, right? I end up like using other editors and switching, switching back to Xcode. And I'm sure that we we could possibly resurrect a developer from the 60s. And he would tell us that, you know, I'm a baby and that that's like a, a crutch which is probably how a lot of, I think, people our age feel about ChatGPT today. I don't necessarily feel that way. I, I you know, because I use it, right? I, I've used it for a number of things. And I got to tell you, it's not, like, there's a lot of hype here. It's not going to, certainly our generation is safe. And I think, let's say, our children's generation. You think, see, his, that's his, his position is, yeah, it's kind of not great today. But with... The way things are going, you can start to see how maybe five, ten years, honestly, like say when somebody who's born today is going into high school, by that around that time, this tooling's actually probably going to be pretty great. And it'll be like in Star Trek, when they go make a holodeck program, they don't tell the computer how to make a program. They just describe to the computer what holodeck program they want, and it creates it. I, I, I think we're, uh, other than like trivial examples that hipsters are going to blog about, I think we're pretty far from that. I think 10 years is wildly optimistic. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Remember, every advancement in computing, like, let's look at, a, or, you know, our old pal Brian Lunduk did a series about, what, two years ago about how bloated just standard web pages are now, right? How much <laughs> memory, I think, what did he go to, like, CNN.com, and it's just, like, how much crap it has to load? And, yeah, that's what we do, right? We get the, the more powerful hardware, and we waste it on bull like ad networks, and, you know, I'm, my Slack is open in the background here. And someone in Slack sent me an animated giphy of a penguin with a wizard hat and some text going through what looks like a terminal saying, to hell with it, let ChatGPT do it. That's using memory on my machine right now. (laughs) 
yeah. right? Just yeah. in the background. I have Amazon yeah. open in a different tab. I'm sure Amazon is. Well, what yeah. if we put some AI in your Electron app that could notice when you're idle and auto-suspend stuff, right? There we go. <laughs> oh, that's not going to be a problem. Yeah, I, I either, <laughs> we're always going to want to build more things with technology. Now, does programming start to evolve into something slightly more abstract sure but again i'm going back to my gentleman from the 60s we've been doing that since the beginning right we're not using punch cards we're not using you know look at even look at what like ogc looks like compared to what modern c or c looks like it's we have a lot of abstractions right even you know people like to dunk on c plus plus but if you if you do like nice modern C++, it's it's actually like really abstract and really nice and very um, uh, reasonable in terms of just like reading it and understanding it. And that's not, that's like the natural trend that's not going to change. And yeah, I mean, I will be the first if it starts to threaten me to say, oh, these damn kids, because I'm, you know, a hypocrite. But I don't, I don't think we should pretend like this is anything different than the natural evolution that we've been doing for generations now of abstracting away the mathematical minutia and dealing more with concepts. And uh, you remember that that was the dream of object oriented programming, right? You're not, you're just going to deal with objects as an abstraction and that's, you know, it's fine. It's, it's just what it is. It's where we're going. Alderaan games slash coder. If you're looking for great remote work, well, Alderaan Games is looking to hire a talented remote worker. And if you listen to this here podcast, you might be a good candidate. They have positions for QA and lead developer positions and back end and front end. And it looks like a great place to work. Matt is the lead over there at Alderaan Games, and he's been a Coder Radio listener for like a decade. Set off to do his own business. And now he's kind of on the other end where he's looking to grow and expand and he needs to hire. Well, that's tricky. But he thought, you know, I'd probably have a pretty good shot if I just reach out to the Coder Radio audience. And I think he's right. So head on over to alderon.game/coder and see if there's something there for you, too. They're also expanding into the world of Linux. So there may be an expertise in that realm that you could provide. What I would do, there's lots of ways to crack this egg, but what I would do is go update my GitHub profile, you know, spruce it up a little bit, put some examples on there, go get involved with the JB project, for goodness sake. That's probably another little good hot tip I just came up with right there. You can take it for free. And then uh, go over to alderon.game slash coder and uh, submit an app. Not only are there some great positions over there, but when you go with a company that is remote work first, it's always so smooth. So go try it out. They're growing and they're looking to hire, and I think you might just be a great fit. Alderon.games slash coder. Can you hear the air leaking from the App Store ecosystem? Hashtag OpenAI Dev Day, tweets O'Malik. The hype was real. Other people quickly tweeted, or Weapon X, I'm not sure. You'll soon, you're soon going to get paid to make GPTs. That's right. It was OpenAI Day, and everybody's good buddy, Sam Altman, was up there doing the old live keynote, the old school live demonstration keynote. Uh, announced an expansion of services and features and the ability to build your own GPTs and then sell them through a custom GPT store. Because mm, who doesn't want to be Uncle Tim? <laughs> it looks like you're going to need tens of millions of subscribers before you're going to really see any kind of actual money coming in. 
somebody was doing the math on X and figured out it's not going to be it's not going to be like making a ton of money. But in theory, somebody could make some sort of custom GPT, put it in their store, and could get a bunch of users and just start raking in the money. There's also going to be an assistance API. That's going to be interesting, a new API for simple use cases. I don't know, man. Actually, I I am a little skeptical of OpenAI and Sam Altman, of course, but I actually kind of look at this and think they're really building out the services. They're really building out like the back-end services for people to white-label, and essentially they are the AI as a service and it's kind of almost perfect for people to come along and build products on top of that are like focused for a particular customer. Well, this is, uh, if you remember about a month or two ago, this was our prediction that the way forward for open AI is really to be be the be the Levi's corporation selling jeans to the gold miners. Don't be don't be the end result, right? Don't be chat GPT. I, I have a feeling folks using it like, you know, we've used it and we talk about going to openai dot what you know, whatever their actual URL is. Chat dot and chatting whatever. right is is gonna be uh, probably in three to five years this their secondary business. Oh, and, I think sooner than that. Yeah. The real business is I'm going to help you spin up a really specific chatbot for your company, and there you go. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. That gives them some insulation because there is an explosion, right? We, I don't think we have it in the notes, but apparently Elon released Grok. Yep. 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 I, I'll, slip, I'll slip a little link in there. We got Grok, which is there. It's funny. If you're, if you're a sensitive, don't use Grok! Exclamation mark. Hee <laughs> hee. You know, it's got kind of that vibe going. It's, I don't know. You know, everybody in the Google's got barred, right? Yeah. And uh, Microsoft is weirdly married to ChatGPT and all kinds of strange. Well, ways. you know what I, you know what I discovered when I was in El Salvador Ooh. is communities, big and small, are building their own large language models for their community. Like the the Bitcoin community's working on one. There's a guy that's working on one for the El Salvador community. It's just focused specifically on them. That gives them the answers they want with the political bias that they want. Like, that's really what it comes down to when I talk to these guys is they don't like the answers they're getting. They want different answers with a different political bias. And so they're going to build one for themselves that has the bias that the local population wants, be it online community or in a country. <laughs> so there's a mo- there's a market for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go for it, Sammy boy. I don't, you know, yeah. <laughs> this just makes sense, right? I mean, I, I, I you know, teasing aside, this is a, a very shrewd, very wise business decision. Um, this is probably how they're going to make their fortune until Microsoft eventually just acquires them. So yeah, until Microsoft makes it as easy as making like an access database or a spreadsheet, right? That's you know the real sad thing is Microsoft was so close to this. Uh, I, I know I got a lot of flack for it on, what, like three or four years ago when I was talking about the Lewis bot engine from. Uh, well, it was the Lewis language engine and the Microsoft bot framework together. And it was basically, we will start you with what we would now call a large language model. And we'll start you with the basic like skeleton of a bot. And you can put your own logic in it, your own uh, vocabulary, recognition, stuff like that. They were so close. They just couldn't, you know, it's, it's, it's so funny to me how someone's nose has to be a little bent out of shape over there because I'm reading, I was watching the dev days things from, from chat GPT or from open AI rather. And I'm like, Microsoft did this years ago. And like, I know because the first version of Alice was written on the bot framework. 
isn't it fascinating how they missed it again? They missed the internet. They missed mobile. But they were also kind of early to a lot of networking stuff. They were also very early to mobile devices. But they also missed it <laughs> at the same time. You know, they're, they're really bad. I, I mean this with love. They're super bad at partnering with small ISVs. Yeah. And you know, though, I think Apple takes – think about this for a moment. I, I don't think we've appreciated how bad Apple blew it. Like we saw German's reporting that the executives are scrambling to come up with some sort of language model, Siri alternative or something. And you've commented on how Apple was very early with Siri. They were the first with a voice assistant. They were very early there. But one thing we haven't really considered or appreciated is when you go to deploy one of these self-hosted large language models that you can run locally – Almost universally, almost universally now, they all have optimized builds for the M-Series platform. And they almost always show that the M-Series platform is performing above most of the average systems out there, if not some of the nicer systems. And, like, you can just go, go look at uh, Llama GPT. Really easy way to get Llama 2 locally with a chat interface. They got a build specifically now for the Mac. This isn't how things used to be, friends. Back in the day, it was Linux and Windows, maybe, for this kind of web, server-side stuff. But now, with the neural processors, people are aping into the Mac to run these workloads. Apple built the neural processors into their M-series chip starting years ago. They saw a certain type of workload coming. In fact, when they announced the M1 and talked about these neural CPUs, a lot of us were like, hmm, I wonder what people are going to use that for. They'll probably find something. And now they're using the hell out of them. Apple had Siri. They had neural processors. They had Siri. And yet they still missed the large language model craze. And now, as German reports, are scrambling to come up with something. I mean, Microsoft missed it. Google was working on it, but they didn't execute on time. So they kind of missed it. And Apple, even though Apple saw Siri, they saw the neural processor use case, all of that, they still missed it. They all missed it. These big, rich companies with all these smart people that are so well paid, that live in beautiful homes and have all these cars and all these toys that are all paid to be experts, they all missed it. Yeah. I mean, they missed it. They marketed it badly. They didn't take advantage of the, uh, I mean, it's, in Apple's case, it's hard to really ding them so hard when they're like, "We have more money than God, and we don't care anymore." Right? Which, I, yeah, which well, I think they're doing all right. But yeah. Microsoft's <laughs> case, like, it's super painful, right? It's really like I have to tell you, I got a, a, a bit of flack for liking the Microsoft Bot framework. Let me tell you something. That was a great API to work with. It was mm. straightforward. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Back in the day, good API. Yeah. Yep. Boy, there's so many products. We could do an episode of things Microsoft got right and then pulled back on and then had to come back and be the underdog on forever. <laughs> but there, there were like a few stupid things in the API, which I, I, I'm taking a tangent here. But um, for instance, the Python and Node.js versions were weirdly better than the .NET version because they were. this is when they were like, we love Linux and they were trying to be like, whatever. Um, to the point where I think there's an old blog post of me rewriting Alice in JavaScript at just to... To use the other API, um, but I got to tell you, they had prefabbed, um, and we're going back years here. They had like prefab boxes that were would intelligently reformat themselves for like Slack and Teams, 
and you just had to basically give it a JSON description of what it should look like and what the options or the buttons or whatever you wanted it were and you, you know your design scheme and it would just apply it on the fly and look really nice. What a concept. And it just, it got no respect. And now part of it is they like, you know, they did the Microsoft thing. They tied it to freaking Azure. Yeah, probably at the time we're trying to integrate into Skype or something. Uh, it did have a Skype integration you could do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, it, it, it had that Microsoft strategy tax of, well, every team gets a vote on the feature set here and they all want their thing. They all want their logo on it. But if you just treated it as like the base framework with the Lewis language in, and it was, uh, it was Honestly, like it's exactly what ChatGPT or OpenAI is offering developers today. But I would say even easier because Microsoft went through the trouble of like doing the tutorials, building in a Visual Studio Code extension right when VS Code came out. So that VS Code could be like, you know, give you intelligent endings to things and have it make sense. <laughs> Full TypeScript support. Like, and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a little sad to me that like I, I feel like sometimes we like to bash on them. But they do such good work on the, like, I'm a company building tools for developers side of things. And the minute the PMs get involved, it just seems to go to hell. Or maybe it's the VPs, right? It just seems to to get uh, just shellacked. Yeah. And I, I wonder, I wonder if, is it, is it the market doesn't want these solutions from Microsoft? Is it, maybe the audience could boost in and tell us, is it that they want, they don't want these solutions from Microsoft? Is it that the Microsoft strategy taxes that kind of encumber these things make them unappealing? And Microsoft hasn't always had like the most open account system. I, but I think we could probably hear – I'd love a few examples. But I think we could cite a few examples of where they were early and then where they, you know, they kind of capitulated. Like, I mean, this is just a random example and I'd love people to boost in more. Remember how they had Encarta mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like the Wikipedia for a while of the world and they could have brought that into the online space and and done some sort of system that was uh, online collaborative editing and they could have owned the world's encyclopedia, but they just sort of blew that <laughs> even though they did it when it was really, really hard and you had to like go out and actually do the work and pay people to do the work. And then, like, put it together in an application and ship it on a bunch well, of discs. Remember, remember Mind Maze, which was the game inside of Encarta that is a full-featured game yeah. where you're in a labyrinth, like, and it's just quizzing you on, like, just, it's like, it's, it's basically like evil Carmen San, or more evil Carmen San Diego in there quizzing you on, like, so, when King Henry VIII was first married, what was his wife's name? We, we need to crowdsource uh, as many examples of where Microsoft was early missed the mark, and then the market came around to the idea and they had to, like, follow up. You ready? I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to blow your mind. Okay, give me another one. And there's plenty, so give me another one. All right. Apple made such a little fuss, and so did Google a year ago, about lock screen widgets or phone widgets. That was the entire concept of Windows Phone 7 and more so 8. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree. That was the entire thing. And and maybe arguably better done and uh, well, well more supported by the OS. I got to tell you, I had that HTC uh, Windows Phone 8 phone, the purple one. Say what you want. I never had that thing die in me. That baby's battery life was rivals my iPhone 14, right? It's it's because <laughs> you know what? They're like, oh, why wow. do you need all these flashy animations and pictures when all you care about is the data? You want to glance at your phone and get back to your life. They were like ahead of that, right? There's a whole movement now of like people blogging about 
disconnecting from your phone. Don't be on Instagram all day. Microsoft was like, don't worry, we're not even going to have Instagram. I, I think they eventually paid Instagram to get on there. Like, oh my gosh, they had to. Yeah, it was bad. They had, That was the thing, was no apps. That was the thing. I still want my $40,000 back. Well, I want to say thank you to our members. If you'd like to support the show directly and get an ad-free version of the show, it's coderqa.co. And then each quarter we give you a quarterly as a thank you. But really, it's it's a fantastic way to kind of help orient the show towards our largest customer. And we want our largest customer always to be the audience. That's kind of not only just great from a business incentive standpoint, which I don't have to explain to you, but it's also nice from it gives us independence from any one particular sponsor. And as the market continues to look pretty frosty, uh, those memberships are more and more valuable than ever. CoderQA.co. And also, thank you to our boosters out there. If you want to boost in, just get a podcast app at podcastapps.com. Podverse is GPL and cross-platform, really nice. Fountain FM streams USATs as you listen and has a really cool discovery mechanism. Castomatic is great on iOS. And Podfans is a brand-new progressive web app that also supports offline. It's doing a whole bunch of new features. But if you don't want to switch apps, I understand. Keep your podcast app. Just get Albi at getalbi.com. You top it off either using the app directly or something else on the Lightning Network like the Cash app or something. And then you can find our entry on the podcast index and boost from the webpage. And you don't have to switch apps. And we'll have links to that in the show notes. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. And the handsome Mick Zip comes in with 50,000 sats, our baller this week. Hey, He's using Castomatic. He writes, you mentioned there's still being Coda robes available. It reminded me somewhere in Minneapolis, a porch pirate has their very own Coda robe. I hope they enjoy it. <laughs> he says, uh, I reordered and I've been enjoying mine for a while. So that's good. I guess he got another robe. Boy, that stinks that, that he has one suck, stolen. Yeah. He says, uh, thanks to Michael. I'm referring to Twitter now as Weapon X and people around me are confused. Oh, well, what can you do? But the few people that get the joke, it's going to be really good. Well, you got to keep it up. Yeah, you got to keep keep, keep it up. You got to keep going. Yeah, you just spread it. It's it's an organic thing, and uh, I think it just uh, I think it's a nod to how ridiculous the entire thing is. A friend of fifty five comes in with a row of McDucks. Things are looking up for old McDuck. Uh, using Fountain, he writes, "You guys might have a bad take on Noster. I've been getting a lot of value out of it, and someone recently built up a Meetup.com killer that can show you all the events your friends are going to. It's called Flockster." F-L-O-C-S-T-R dot com. Just a small glimpse into the future of interconnected apps on this protocol. Fluxster. <gasps> yeah, okay. I actually think I what I'm kind of more excited about with Noster isn't so much a Twitter replacement, although I know people continue to use the hell out of it for that, but it would be more for like this type of stuff, a meetup.com mm-hmm. replacement, um, a Craigslist replacement that is decentralized, and maybe you do have an identity that you can establish on Noster that you can use across Flockster. You could use it across the Craigslist alternative, and you could use it on social media if you want. It's sort of a decentralized identity provider as well. That kind of stuff, I think, is actually a lot of potential. Have you heard much about Noster in the last, I don't know, five months? Not really, right? Only from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's, I mean, you tell me, Mr. 55, I don't know. I like I like to see that kind of stuff getting developed, but now let's see it scale and let's see people start using it. I'm all about it if it, if it takes off. Kernbug comes in with 
Spaceballs boost. One, two, three, four, five sets. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. <laughs> Thank you for the boost. I do love that one. Purple Dog comes in with 5,000 sets. I tried to write a UK perspective on the online safety bill and why I think no one seems to care, but it's so depressing to articulate my thoughts succinctly, which I think is kind of the point. Everyone I know is numb to politics and years of blatant corruption and contempt from politicians. I kind of want that on a throw pillow. That's the worst. That's the worst possible explanation as to why nobody cares about that horrible bill. We're, we're like dogs who've been beaten just so savagely <laughs> that we, we can't even get up anymore. It's getting there, right? Like I think we still haven't caught a breath from COVID. I think is the problem, and people are just been completely shell shocked. Oh God! Yeah, this is. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I got my mom and I got to have like this conversation. We're like, we don't ever see each other anymore because it's like we're so busy. I mean, you wouldn't believe you wouldn't believe what I have done in the last 48 hours. Like you wouldn't believe it. Like it's in, it's in, impossible when I think back on it. It's just really remarkable. And it's life just gets so crazy busy, especially when you try to run your own business and have kids. Oof. I can understand that the people just kind of get burned out on trying to follow it all. Yep. The gig comes in. With a row of ducks. Get ready for the claims that AI is a public utility, so it has to be regulated. Noster and freedom of speech will win. So half of that is correct. <laughs> so did anybody clip my uh, my thing I asked for an element of Magneto, Mr. Eric Lencher, saying, we've heard these debates before, Charles. We are the future. I don't think we do need we that. Do need that. No, do it, give them a good clear one right here so they can clip it for you. We've heard these debates before, Charles. Time. Well, oh, God, I forgot the second line. Is it time and time and again? Well, that's fine right there. We've heard these debates before, Charles. is enough. Right. This is the same thing. By the way, I, I have a, a couple emails telling on LinkedIn telling me I'm wrong about the developer certification stuff. A battle that I think we fought in 2012, 14, 16. It's like every two years, basically. Because that's, uh, I'm telling you, just go ahead and watch the X-Men with uh, Captain Jean-Luc Picard and Gandalf. Yep. Uh, just, just like the opening scene, right? Like where, where they're in the Senate and that whole hallway fight. That's exactly what this is all about. Now, this next, this next one, I, I don't. I think this is a troll. Mm. I'm going to give it my best. To Hergumba, <laughs> Busin with 1,085 sats. I just wanted to say I was trying to get a membership, but right before I pulled the trigger, I got laid off. So here's some sats that I've earned via Fountain. Uh-huh. Hopefully through, I'll get through with times are tight. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. You can, uh, keep on listening, and thank you for the boost. And do check that Coder Jobs channel. Alderon.game slash Coder. Go get a job over there. There's the the Jobs Chat channel in our Matrix room, which is always going, and you can always uh, fish around in there, too. And then a shout-out to Dave Jones, who sends in 10,000 sats automatically each week. Boom. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, everybody who boosted, and we had eight boosters, and we stacked 103,924 sats. Can we get to 150 next week? Boost in, support the show. Let's find out. And uh, again, shout out to the members, too, who support each production automatically. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the good people before we scoot? Uh, Yeah, I guess you can find me at Dumanuko on Weapon X. (laughs) I don't tweet much, but if you you want to tweet at me, I'm I'm over there. Too at Chris Elias. No, no, you don't. You don't tweet at all. You X. Although I did while I was in San Salvador, uh, tweet a quick time lapse 
of the sunrise oh, that's so from cute. the balcony of the Airbnb apartment. On you know, I don't see your tweets anymore. There's something weird going on with Weapon X. Oh, it's because you and I aren't uh, blue checkers, right? I thought I was. So we probably don't get any traction. That's probably how that works, man. Yeah, I think I might have turned the subscription off. That makes sense. Okay. Woo! That's <sighs> fine. I didn't want you to see it anyways. No sunset for you. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash 544. You'll also find our RSS feed links over there, the contact form. We love your feedback. That's a big part of the show. And why don't you join us live? We kind of bounce in between Mondays and Tuesdays, nominally on Mondays, though. You can find it at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar and the streams over jblive.tv. But heck, I'm just glad you download and listen. If you feel like it was a good one, share it with somebody. Let them know you liked it. That's always a nice thing for the pod. Mm. You know, nice thing for the pod. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week.